Welcome to Exponential's Reproducing Churches podcast. For the next half hour, we'll be meeting with some of the most innovative leaders who've cracked church multiplication to help you become a level five multiplying leader. Here's your host, author, church multiplier, Peyton Jones. Welcome back to the Reproducing Churches podcast. I'm your host, Peyton Jones, and I'm with my guest today, Mark Halleck of Calvary Church in Inglewood, Colorado. They are a member of Acts 29 and SBC, and uh, they're killing it right now. They were featured in the top 100 reproducing churches. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, man. So good to be with you. Hey, it's good to have you. And uh, you and I have been talking and geeking out a little bit before this, but um, your story was so refreshing to read. And what I enjoyed about it was a couple things that stood out as unique about the story of Calvary and the network that you formed there in Colorado. One of them is you were not this sexy rock star church planner that came out of nowhere, took the world by storm. And uh, though you are Acts 29, and they're all extremely cool, um, <laughs> you actually were a church revitalization. Tell That's me right. a little bit about that, because that is so unique and something that really, I think, the story that doesn't get enough attention as it deserves. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, we are definitely the most uncool church at X29. There's no question (laughs) about that. You wear Um, that badge with honor. (laughs) With honor, with honor. Um, Yeah, man, I mean, here's kind of our story. So I've been a youth pastor for a lot of years and loved that, loved working with students, um, loved working with families. And, but over time, my heart began to just really break and same with my wife as well, just for dying churches, declining Mm. churches. Everywhere I'd gone as a youth pastor, I was always drawn to uh, uh, basically youth groups that were, that needed to be revitalized, that needed new life and new health. And uh, I've never been one to just want to go to something that's already rolling. And, and that's great. Some guys are called to that and we need that, but I want to, I kind of love the underdog, you know, that's always been my passion. And and so whether that was youth ministry, but then it became churches. And uh, long story short, the Lord um, opened a door for us to come to this little dying Baptist church in Inglewood, Colorado, which is uh, just a basically suburb of Denver, um, that, you know, back in the day, 1950s and 60s, it was rocking. It was like the Southern Baptist church in, in the suburbs of the South. And over time, like so many churches, the neighborhood began to change, the demographics began to shift, and, uh, and what happens, you know, most, sadly, evangelical churches tend to move out further to the suburbs, you know, well, it's time to move, we can't reach these people, we're mm. tired of driving in, so let's sell the building and move out. What was really cool about Calvary is there were basically just a couple families who had been here forever and were like, we we feel like God's placed us in this neighborhood to reach these people, no matter what, no matter what happens, no matter, you know, who comes, who moves in. And so 10 years ago to, well, 2009, my wife and I sat down with this sweet group of folks and they were literally going, man, we are so tired. We love this church. We love the community, but we, we basically run out of money and we can pay a quarter time pastor. Are you interested? And, I think they were going, man, there's no way these, these guys would want to come. And what they didn't know was the Lord in my heart was going, dude, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Like, mm. I want to just come. I want to shepherd these people. I want to, I want to 
feed them the word. I want to get to know all these neighbors around the church. And we've got low income apartment complexes, all kinds of stuff. And just see what God would do. You know, I'm like, man, I don't know. I may kill this thing in six months. I hope I don't. But, um, but I do believe God does his greatest work when it seems impossible. And, and so that's where this thing began with 30 people in 2009. And, um, since then, man, the Lord has just by his grace slowly brought vibrancy and health and new life to this church. And by God's grace, we've been able to begin to multiply that over the last seven or eight years. So let me ask you, you, you were sharing a little bit about, you know, Hey, there was this time the church was going to close its doors. Now, obviously you were, you were wired for church revitalization. There's showing right now that revitalizations are actually overtaking hmm. raw church plants. Those yeah. are the statistics right now. Yeah. So you're fitting into a narrative that needs to be told, number one. But at what point did you find that church revitalization bone in you? Kind of like that, mm-hmm. uh, I, w- I want to take you home. You're like a lost puppy, you know, yeah. where, where yeah, other yeah, yeah. people say, I wouldn't touch that that, that church with a 10-foot pole. Yeah, at yeah, yeah. what point did you know, like, because that, that's quite a shift, right? To yeah, go from totally. yeah. saving a church from dying to actually yeah. saying, we're going to multiply outward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you would expect, right, Mark, that uh, it would be like, you know, anyone who has a close brush with death, mm-hmm. they're extra conservative. Now, look at my face, right? These yeah. scars on here. <laughs> I've had many close calls with yeah, death. Yeah, I've been yeah, a firefighter. Yeah. You know, yeah. I've, I've had a near-death experience. But, you know, these kinds of things, you either go more conservative, like, That's hey, right. we're not going to parachute jump anymore. Yep. Or you, you, you say, you know what? Life is short. Let's go for it. How, how did you get from revitalization to yeah. multiplication? Yeah, that's really good. Well, I think one thing that, you know, in this, the world of church revitalization and replanting, um, let me just make a quick distinction between the two. So when we talk about church revitalization, we're really talking about helping a plateaued or declining church basically become healthy again, right? Um, And quite frankly, according to the statistics, 80% of churches in North America need revitalization. Um, 10% are uh, multiplying or or at least in that trajectory. And then there's this bottom 10% that if things don't radically change within six months to two years, they're going to die, okay? Uh, Now, within the 80% in that middle, you could quickly move from that to the bottom 10%, just like this. One, one big giver dies, one family moves, whatever. And the challenge in revitalization is identifying how desperate a church actually is, not just to live, but to do what it takes to make disciples and to reach the lost. Does that make sense? Mm, yeah. And so <clears throat> when we assess churches and their readiness, um, you could tell pretty quickly whether a church is still at that 80%, like, you know, we're feeling it, but we're not feeling it that much. Um, we're not going to send guys into that church because quite frankly, those are where stories come of dudes getting eaten up and spit out. That mm. church just isn't ready for that. Right. We are really focused on the bottom 10%, which in the Southern Baptist world is about 15 churches a week that we're closing in North America. Okay. Um, And these are churches that have basically typically come to the end of themselves and they're going, we know we're done and we, but we don't want to die. We're Mm. willing to do what it takes. We want to reach the lost. And so there is a a humility there. Does that make sense? Yep. Um, To say, we'll do what it takes. Well, Calvary, when I came was made up of folks who were at that point. Okay. So they were at a place of going, we are ready to do what it takes um, to make the changes that we need. Now as a leader, you recognize 
that doesn't give you a green light to do whatever you want. Right. You're a shepherd pastor. You're going to love these people. You're going to feed them and, and earn trust and win their hearts. So that, though, you can move into that missional vision of, man, we want to reach the lost. We want to plant churches. And so I think, you know, step one is you've got to get healthy as a church. But I really think part of getting healthy as a church is leading with some real exciting vision to look outward and mm. look at this neighborhood. Let's start with this neighborhood. That's where we started. And once a month, you know, our 30 folks, we'd show up, we'd eat some food together, and we would go knock on doors. And these were, these were folks who hadn't been out of the church doing that for who knows how long. And what happened is their heart begins to break for lost people, right? That's what has to happen. Until a heart, the hearts are broken, you're not going to do anything. And so that eventually led us to a place of people were getting saved, people were getting baptized. And as we grew, we said, look, we don't want to be some monster church. We don't want to leave this neighborhood. What if we began to raise up guys and send them out to do the same thing in other areas, in other neighborhoods? And so that is where the multiplication vision began. And we planted our first church in 2013. And then by God's grace, since then, we've planted and replanted 21 churches. Um, and so wow. Th- so you just see that where it's... Say that again. Yeah, so <clears throat> we planted our first church in 2013, and that was, an, you know, we didn't know what we were doing. It was all an experiment, but that's what's fun, man. We're, we're following the Lord. We're taking risks, yeah. and that's key. Uh, but from them, we knew, man, we're not interested in planting one church. We're interested in seeing this city saturated with the gospel. Um, and so when we planted the first church, uh, from the very beginning, uh, we said, man, how can we be radically cooperative to plant churches together moving forward? And so this is where we've seen the exponential growth in seven okay. years. Yeah. Of, so Calvary Littleton was our second church. And then together within a year, we planted a church in Lakewood, which is another part of Denver, and in Aurora. Okay. Now, now you, have you four say ch- together, yes. what did that look like? What do you mean when you say, we planted a church, that was our daughter, right? but then we came back together with our daughter church and said, let's team up and plant out. Yeah, totally. So <clears throat> what we did is we spent that year, that first year we planted our first church, developing a model um, that we said, we looked at it and said, look, Denver is a hard city to plant in. You know, statistics say nine out of 10 church plants close within two years. Is there another way to do this? Is there a way to do this where we are very kingdom-minded? We're radically cooperative. We just want to make Jesus famous. We don't care who gets the credit. Um, And imagine what would happen if not just leaders had that mindset, but congregations had that Mm. same mindset. Does that make sense? And so we formed what we call the Calvary family of churches. And so to answer your question, basically what happened is the DNA from the very beginning was one of saying, yes, there's a sending church, but really there's a sending family of churches, if that makes sense. So whenever we plant a church, we, so we send Lakewood out, okay, as our, our third church. Well, Calvary Littleton sent in some folks from their church, and we're sending some folks from our church to be part of that core team. You know what I mean? And we're sending money together, and we're sending some, some musicians and helping them with that. And we're having a blast doing it, man. It's just so fun, right? Yeah. And then now we got three churches Say, guys, let's put it together. Let's do the same thing out in Aurora. And so we're sending some families who who live out there. And and so you see where this thing goes before you know it. There is such a joy in sending and a cooperative spirit where you still share that same DNA and identity, but you're doing a new work in a new area, reaching new people. 
Is that really that good, sense? man? Absolutely. And what, what I'm hearing is kind of this theme coming through that you said in the beginning, which um, you just hinted at it, that, um, that when you're trying to get a church healthy, which is what you were doing in revitalization, as that church grew up and, and attained health, it naturally yes. wanted to reproduce. That's, That's exactly part right. of being healthy. Amen. And I think people need to hear that message right. today. And then yep. you mentioned, you That's know, right. hey, now we're teaming up. Um, did it start to kind of narrow, like, like in other words, now you've got three churches and then uh, mm-hmm. you're planting more. Was there a certain point at which maybe three, four churches said, hey, we're going to take this area? Or yeah. was there a fragmentation or maybe a, a more strategic breakdown of Colorado that you started looking at? Yeah, ex- yeah, that's right. And that's kind of where we're at now, to be honest with you. So we're, we're sort of, as, as we've moved out from Inglewood, um, you know, the further out you go, you find that, you know, um, <clears throat> like at first we had most people living within a 20 minute radius, right? So they could go to really any of these churches. Um, our mindset was, whereas some folks want to plant churches further away, our mindset has always been, let's plant as close as we can mm. so that we don't take people out of their mission field. We don't take people away. So our first plant was one mile away from our church. Now we're in a major city. And so, you know, there are literally millions of people. Uh, and people who need Jesus. But we said, if we're going to be radically cooperative, then the closer we are, the more time we get together, the more that our leaders can do stuff together and all these kinds of things. As we've moved out, we're now at a point where we are trying to develop what we'd call hub churches. Mm. Um, So where Calvary Inglewood has sort of been the mothership in a sense. Uh, We don't want that to be the case. Um, And by God's grace, now we have churches in other parts of the state that are beginning to serve as kind of multiplication centers, if that, if you will, for the Calvary family. We have a church in Northern California now. We have a church in Nampa, Idaho. We have a church wow. in Nebraska and Wyoming. So, so now it's moved beyond Denver and Colorado to really the Western U.S. And, now, and so we're trying to, yeah. All of this, all of this out of a, a church <laughs> of 30 people that almost shut their doors in 2010. Dude, it's a miracle, man. It's a straight up miracle. Yeah, that's exactly right. 30 folks who were ready to shut the doors, um, who were tired. And I mean, what it shows you is just the one, the power of the Spirit of God to use people who are humble and willing to be used by Him. Um, It also shows you um, when you love people well, because I think, Peyton, I think one of the, the characteristics I think people would say about the Calvary family is we work real hard to hold intention, a deep love and care and shepherding philosophy of ministry. Mm. So our people are really cared for um, by our pastor elders, very hands-on. And at the same time, not allowing that to become an inward focus kind of deal. A lot of times you see churches that shepherd really well are churches uninterested in radical multiplication. Right. Sometimes you see churches that are really interested in radical multiplication they suffer in terms of strong pastoral care and discipleship. And so <clears throat> we have really tried to hold those two things in tension because I think they feed one another, right? Mm. Where you have a church where people are being shepherded well, being fed really well, are growing in the Lord, um, have pastors who are deeply involved in their life, um, but are missionally minded. Um, dude, you get healthy churches that, like you said, it, that they begin to naturally move outward on mission. Um right. 
but not in a shallow kind of way. You know, I, th- I think we have to think long haul. This is a marathon, not a sprint. Right. We're not interested in planning a bunch of churches um, that don't make it, you know? And so by God's grace in seven years, we don't have any churches that have not made it. Um, not to say that that can happen at any point. Uh, but I am saying, I think we have to be really thoughtful about how are we doing this to care for those inside the church as we move them outside. Does that make sense? Yeah. And how are you doing that? What have you found along the way? Well, I mean, I would say this, there's multiple levels. I mean, obviously, you know, group ministry is a big deal um, in our congregation. So um, typically we have at a minimum two types of groups. So we have what we call community groups, which would be like missional communities, um, little house church kind of model, um, where you, it's multi-generational, it's a family oriented, um, groups of 30, usually 30 to 40 folks. They're bigger groups that meet weekly for a meal, hang out, just doing life together and sermon-based discussion. But then out of those, we have what we call DNA discipleship groups, which are gender specific, three to four uh, folks, uh, men discipling men, women discipling women. That's a piece that I've often missed in Uh, In a lot of church growth stuff over the last many years, I I tend to think that college ministries do life-on-life discipleship oftentimes better than the church does. Mm. Uh, You hear stories of how lives were changed. I was discipled by this guy in crew in college or this. I know my story was that. And so I thought, man, why aren't we doing that in the church really well? So that's been a staple also in our church uh, in terms of people connecting and growing together. But I would say this, overarching is probably our philosophy of what a pastor elder is and what a pastor elder does. Um, We, a book that I would recommend anyone to read is a book called the shepherd leader by Timothy Whitmer. He was my, uh, my advisor, my mentor uh, at seminary. Um, And that philosophy of shepherding has, is really the kind of the blood guts of our, of what we do where um, pastor elders have a flock that they know and they lead and they feed and they protect um, that they're in the lives of their sheep and their sheep know that. And um, I just feel like, man, if you can have a strong shepherding model along with secondary areas of care, which I would say are groups, you're going to create a church that has a really big front door and a really small back door. You know, we talk about sticky church. Yeah, I think sometimes if you want a really sticky church, groups are part of that. But getting your elders to do what they're supposed to do that they're not just a governing board, but they are shepherds of the flock. That makes a church super sticky. And mm. that's a key part of our philosophy of ministry at Calvary. That's so cool. So one of the things that I'm really noticing is you keep talking about experimentation. And, you know, I, I think most of us learn best when we learn the hard way. Mm-hmm. Um, what have been some of the, the, the things that in your experimentation didn't go so well? but became some of the most valuable lessons of church multiplication in, in your, in your, uh, your, 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 the playbook. Oh yeah. 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 There you go. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that's a great question. I mean, I would say this, I mean, we have made so many mistakes. It's unbelievable. That's where the last thing I ever want to do is come off like an expert in any of this because, and I'm not, that's not, I'm being just honest. Like we, the Lord, this is the Lord's deal, man. And um, I think what we see in his word and we're called to be obedient to his word is that we need to walk by faith and we need to take risks uh, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of reaching those who are far from Jesus. Um, 
And, and that doesn't mean we're foolish, but it does mean this. If you actually want to see a movement of any kind, it's going to take walking by faith. And, mm. um, <clears throat> and what that means is, I think, you know, you can't be concerned with protecting your brand <laughs> if you're going to take risks. You right. can't, you can't um, you know, be consumed with your comfort, quite frankly. And that's the problem, man. I think a lot of times, you know, we start off when we're planting a church and, man, we got this crazy faith. We want to do whatever it takes. And then over time, we can become comfortable and we can stop taking risks. And, um, and I would just say, you know, man, risk taking and walking by faith has got to be an ongoing thing. And knowing this, you're going to fail. You're going to mess up. Man, we, right. I can tell you this. We went down, we've gone down the road many times with some guys, a couple of times, two in particular, where um, we thought we had a good fit in a planter. We thought, um, man, this guy really matched our philosophy of DNA. We, we, we invested a lot. And at the end of the day, um, it just wasn't a good fit. And that's really hard. That's really painful because these are guys we loved a lot, you know, and we loved their families. Um, but we kind of learned the hard way that, you know, sometimes you've got to be real careful with who you're raising up and who you're sending. That's a leadership issue. But uh, we, we learned the hard way on that a couple of times in the world of replanting. So, you know, I mentioned to you um, about half of our churches are church plants and half are replants, right? And replanting is really going back to those percentages where we're going into a dying church that knows it's dying and seek to bring new life and new health, kind of restarting the church with the folks who are there. It's not a takeover. It's not, this is a, this is not a campus model. This is literally coming alongside the saints who are there, bringing hope and leading them into the future. Um, but um, I can tell you replanting is, is hard because it takes a lot of time to get to know a church, to love these a lot, a lot of times older saints, um, to hear their story, to believe the best of what's going on there, and to gently come alongside them and see God do a new work. We've gone down the road many times with churches that we thought, boy, this, this is going to be a big win. And at the end of the day, there was a leader or two who'd mm -hmm. pop out at the last second and say, we're not doing this. Right. We had one church in particular. We spent six months. Um, we sent two of our elders. We sent 30 of our people to come alongside this church. And, and man, it was awesome. And God was, people were getting saved. It was amazing. At the end of the six-month period, when they were going to officially vote to come into the family of churches and do this, one deacon, man, he'd been there 50 years. I'll never forget it. He stood up and he looked at the congregation and he said, we're not doing this. He said, I would rather this church die than to move forward with this revitalization, replanting thing. And I remember sitting there going, you've got to be kidding me. And true story, that church died within two months and wow. it's been sitting empty for years. And so, you know, you're, that stuff's discouraging, man. Yeah. And that's the stuff where you can go, forget it. Why am I even doing this? Why am I even trying hmm. to do this? You know? And I think that's where you have to fall back on what are your convictions about who God is and what the gospel is hmm. and the importance of reaching souls. Because if you're not embedded in a sound doctrine that has captured your heart, um, you will get discouraged and you will quit. You will quit taking risks. You will quit putting yourself out there. Quite frankly, you'll stop loving hard people. And I think that's when churches get really sick. Um, so anyway, I, I don't know if that totally answers your question, but oh I would gosh, say. Oh my gosh, yes. Um, and I, you know, I think it's important because, you know, we, we can talk about all the different things that drive us, 
Um, we talk a lot about vision. We talk a lot about mm-hmm. values. We talk a lot about strategy. No one really talks about drives. Yeah, and that's right. Different that's true. things that drive churches. Amen. You know, I might I might plant because I have a theology that I think, man, mm-hmm. I'm a theology driven church. I'm gonna I'm gonna be driven by this. Yeah. Some people are driven by the Great Commission. Yep. Other people are driven by restoration, kingdom mm. restoration, and the brokenness. And you know what I hear from you, Mark, is a little bit of all of it. Yeah. thrown in there. Yeah. And, 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 and I love that because we mm. do, uh, we do have a, a, a scripture in front of us that Amen. has all of that in Amen. it and but, it's all there. Dude, totally. I mean, I think you nailed it. I mean, I think that's it. If we got to get back to the word now that sounds simplistic, but it's true. Listen, there's so many great guys writing stuff and, and we want to learn from anybody and everybody. I believe that. But if we want to have a holistic understanding of the church and mission, we have to be Bible people, man. Yeah. And that's going to always take us out of certain boxes. Yep. And it's going to be a radical life of faith and walking with the Spirit. And, hmm. But I'm going, dude, what else do you want to give your life to? You know, yeah. well, How else are we going to live? Hey, there's two things, man. Prayer and evangelism. Amen. That's right. That's Word exactly right. and Spirit. There that's are right. those two alternating footfalls that lead to kingdom advancement. Amen. And that's how the West was won in the book of Acts. And you should know, because you're part of Acts 29. You're still winning the West, or at least (laughs) the mountain zones. We're trying, the mountains. (laughs) Hey, this has been a phenomenal interview. In 30 seconds, what is your goal for the next five to seven years for the Calvary Network? Yeah, that's great. I think, honestly, I just pray we can keep doing what we're doing. I mean, I think we've done a lot of hard work uh, over several years, kind of clarifying who we are and who we're not. And I think that's really important for anybody who's listening, who wants, who, who's feeling led to start a network of churches, a family of churches. You have to really do the hard work of figuring out who we are theologically, philosophically, um, methodologically, and who we're not. Mm. Um, you're never going to be, there's, you know, you're never going to be all things to all people and you need to be okay with that. In fact, you should be excited about that. You should be excited about the fact that I get to play one little part, man, in the kingdom of God, but I want to play it really well. Um, but I think, you know, we've tried to do the hard work of figuring out who we are and now we want to kind of lean into that. Mm. Um, and we want to raise up leaders, uh, the best we can. We want to send them out. We want to be radically gracious and Mm. generous and cooperative and, kingdom minded and make Jesus a really big deal. Um, that's good. And so I think that's, that's kind of our hope, man. Well, Mark, Hey, I can't thank you enough for coming on and blessing our listeners. My guest today on the reproducing churches podcast has been Mark Halleck of the Calvary network in Inglewood, Colorado. Uh, Mark, where can they get in touch with you at? Yeah. Um, Find me on Twitter. Find me on Facebook. Um, I try to do Instagram. I'm not real great at that. Um, also, a couple sites. Um, so, preachleadlove.com is my is just where I blog and where you can get resources. Uh, written some books. You, if you want some free books, just let me know. Um, and then also, I would encourage you to check out thecalvary.org. Thecalvary.org is where you can go and learn more about our family of churches. Um, you can also go to nonignorable.org, uh, which is where we have tons of free resources for replanting. Um, I've got 40 training videos for replanters over the course of a year. You could start a cohort 
Um, all this stuff's free. We just, man, we just want to be kingdom minded and encourage you wherever you're at. Awesome sauce. Well, guys, thanks for joining us today on the Reproducing Churches Network. If you haven't yet, I'd like to challenge you to take the multiplication challenge. You can find that at reproducingchurches.org. And we'd love to have you join us. We do this every other week. And if you want to inquire about one of our cohorts, head on over to bill at exponential.org and start your reproducing churches journey. All right. Well, thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time on the Reproducing Churches podcast. Hey, thanks for joining Peyton Jones on the Reproducing Churches podcast. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. Let's increase the number of churches that multiply from 7 to 10%. For more information or resources, such as courses, audios, videos, ebooks, or discounts for the next exponential conference in your area, visit reproducingchurches.org.